the hardest time, you know, is at night when everyone is like sleeping and you can't even sleep. And it's like evening time. And now I'm like, oh, okay, it's about to be that evening again. I need to run so that tonight at least I can have a good night because I had experienced sleepless nights. So I knew what was coming ahead of me. That's Marco Cicetto, marathon champion and world record holder. He's talking about a night that would forever change him. Raised in a remote village in Kenya, Marco would move to Alaska as a college athlete, a runner with tremendous promise. But the move would present Marco with mental health challenges that nearly cost him his life. As Marco describes it, on this night, he set out for a run in the snow, a way to seek out some peace. While running, he lost consciousness. He woke up with severe frostbite three days later. Doctors would have to amputate his feet. The story Marco shares is complex. It's about dealing with the pressure to assimilate, the devastating loss of a close family member, and the ways mental health care can get lost in translation. But above all, Marco Cicetto wants to spread a message of opportunity and positive thinking. He now identifies as a self-proclaimed mental health advocate and his journey to become one is nothing short of extraordinary. One quick trigger warning before we begin. The conversation on this episode touches on suicide. Take care of yourself if this is a hard topic for you. If you choose to keep listening, know that you're not alone. Crisis Text Line is always here to support you. It's brave to reach out. At any time, texters in the US can connect with volunteer crisis counselors by texting the word STRONG to 741741. It's private, free, and 24-7. From getting to know your story, it seems that the big move from Africa to Alaska in 2008 led to incredible success as a student athlete and also changed your mental health baseline and the way you talk about it. Can you tell me about what your new life in Alaska was like in terms of your big wins, but also in terms of like the pressure, isolation, and all the changes you started feeling within yourself? You know, when I got to Alaska, I was still a young man in my early 20s. And there was the excitement that now I have to live by myself. I have to make decisions for my own. But there was that aspect of, you know, having left the people that I know, my family, my immediate people that knew me, people that I could tell them anything I wanted to tell them. But then, you know, when an international student arrives, you know, there is an orientation. You told on the expectation of the visa that we are in or student athletes, F1 visa. And there's so many things that you have to meet in order to maintain your eligibility as a student. But then the things that we have to make sure that we do it perfectly are some of the things that sometimes, you know, as a college student, there are so many things that could go wrong. One is if you fail your classes, uh, you can lose your scholarships. So there is that pressure right from the start that what? And then 
the way, you know, they're speaking, the, you know, English then for me, the American accent, I couldn't understand a lot of things. So now there's this fear of, well, we have to make it in class, but the people who are teaching us are using this American accent that we have to understand and know what they are teaching. But then at that time, I was not really questioning or trying to think about my mental health. I was just like, okay, I need to take care of business. I'm also an immigrant to the United States. And it's this, this idea of what you are going to expect on the other side. And then it's different, right? And, you, and there's uh, sometimes a pressure that you're talking about to acculturate quickly because you want to succeed. I wanted to talk about that during that time. I read about a one-day trip that you took from Alaska to visit a family member in Texas during one of your first tough mental health moments. On the trip, you were sleepless and you were feeling agitated. And you told your relative, who is a doctor, that something did not seem right with you, with you and how you were feeling, but you couldn't really name what it was. Looking back on that trip, what do you think was going on? You know, I think I needed to talk to someone that I trust. But then, you know, I, I had known him back in Kenya. So I, we lived together. So it was someone that was like very close to me. And, you know, given his profession, it was someone who could understand, like, what could this be? Is there anything internal or it's just physical or what could this be? One thing I want to I wanna ask you about is that after that trip, when you returned to Alaska, your coach, how do you see a counselor? And I'm wondering, was this the first time that you were speaking about mental health with a professional? And we'd love to hear about that experience and what that was like for you. Yes, this was, I had spoken with just a general, like, you know, psychologist, you know, for students. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this is what you need to do. You have to take care of your mind, but it was not, I had not had like a personal experience. It's one of those things that it's still so far from you. So I was not very keen about it. But then when I visited like the health professional, it was interesting in so many ways. It was interesting in the way the questioning was. The, the way they asked the questions made me think now, not then, but now I'm thinking. I don't know if a lot of people would answer the questions genuinely because of the way it's framed. Like, for example, one of the questions is like, do you want to kill yourself? I am thinking, what is the expectation there? Like what, and I'm not a professional. I'm just talking from the experience. Like, I don't want to share, like, I don't want to talk to this person more than that question. Like at that time, I am like already mental blocked. I, yeah, the next question, I will not even understand what they are asking. Because what I felt like I lacked looking now back is that human connection. It was not a human connection. It was like, a robot talking to a human being. Boom. Okay, your turn. Did you want to kill yourself? What? 
And it sounds like also lacked some cultural competence, right? I mean, the way that maybe mental health is spoken about here, it's in the United States, might be more direct or might seem more normal for someone to ask about um, if you want to kill yourself up front. But from in different communities or from different cultures, it's different. And we need to take that into account, right? How do we confront different issues and how we speak about mental health? It's going to be different for different people and how it is perceived. Yeah, and, and I think it's a lot of cultural thing too. But for me, there was, I was not so open in what I was going through because it felt like an interrogation. Um, you know, men, mental health is not something that is talked more about in my village. There is a lot of stigma associated with mental health. And most of the time, people think it's something that can be fixed by telling whoever is experiencing their mental health to just get over it. They are talking it based on their own experience. They are like, why are you going through this? Look at me. Look at everybody else in the village. Nobody is going through what you're saying. Nobody is experiencing whatever you're saying is bothering you. So it's you're just generating this self-inflicted a mental health crisis. There's specifically one series of events that really brings a conversation about mental health into your life in sort of a central way forever. And that starts with your cousin's William's uh, death by suicide in February of 2011. First of all, I am really, really sorry for your loss, Marco. Being a survivor of suicide loss is very painful and can be traumatic. And, you know, William had also come to Alaska on a running scholarship, just like you did, uh, before he went to take his own life. Can you tell us about the impact his death had on you? The first thing that struck me was the guilt that I had because he had reached out to me, wanting to talk about something that I don't know what it was. But the call came and it was just like, hey, I want to talk to you. Are you available? And I said, I am not available, but it's Friday today. So we can talk about it tonight because we don't have classes tomorrow. And I was studying at the time and working at the gym selling tickets. But then to come back and realize that he was no more, there is that initial thought that had I dropped everything that I was doing and went and helped him, what would have happened? Would I have saved his life? And I think that is where it just like affected me so much. And, and that is when I realized that really I am like really, really struggling mentally. And it was after his death that I was able to check in. Uh, I seeked help. I said, I need to see a psychiatrist. I need someone to talk to. Because I, it was after like two months after he died that I really realized that I am struggling. Because when I couldn't sleep, I, you know, I, I just tried to sleep. The only voice or something that I could hear is like him calling me. Uh, so there's the superstitious part of that, 
coming from Kenya. They say when you started hearing voices of people who have died, it's not a good sign. There was that superstitious thing in me that I had heard back in the village and I was like, uh-uh, this is not going in the right direction. Right. So it so it was that feeling that then led you to seek help? Yes, because uh, what they normally say is, you know, the, the superstition. And, you know, I would call it like, you know, what they believe is, you know, when you start to hear like someone who are already uh, died, you know, it, you could be the next one. And like that was like, I needed help, but in a like, I was so scared at the same time, like, wow, why is this voice not getting out of my head? Can you share a little bit more about how you went about seeking help during that time? I, I realized that my mental state was not where, you know, so, you know, you know yourself, I know myself. I knew that this is not me. I've never been on a state of mind the way I was then. So I was... De- desperate and I knew that I needed something to fix what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. I hear it was such a vulnerable moment for you, right? To feel different, like something you couldn't really name what it was, but it's, you knew it wasn't yourself. And I want to respect sensitivity around it and ask you, I think this was around the time that maybe you were admitted for inpatient mental health care at a hospital. Can you talk a little bit more about what led to that hospitalization? Uh, so I had gone to the hospital and then came back. Just like, you know, I was discharged. But this time now I was on antidepressants because they gave me some antidepressants. And then when, so then when I was hospitalized, which I don't remember myself, then I was told, hey, you overdosed on your uh, antidepressants. But then I was like, oh, I was just sleeping at the dorms. And, you know, I was there just for like, I think a day, but nothing really because, you know, they were like, okay, how? And I remembered like the exact dose that I took. So then the doctor is like, but that shouldn't have been the case. So I went back and I really don't like, and this is the thing sometimes with like when you're going through so many things that I know now speaking from experience. So they say, oh, so like some people, they say, oh, they took medicine. They overdosed wanting to kill themselves. But like when I think about my case, there was never a single time that I really wanted to like die. All I wanted was to get better. And I wanted to do something to fix that. And now I am thinking, because I, I like I talked at length with my friend and I said, you are here. And I was here. We, we were here together. And I just went and slept. What I think happened on that particular is the idea that every time I think, why am I, fe- why am I feeling this? Maybe I'm not taking enough of the medicine. Then I take one. And then why am I, not, why is this not fixing what I am like? I really need to do something. And then finally it led to taking too much antidepressants. And later that year, you went on a run in the woods in Alaska and you took pills and you lost consciousness for three days. Looking back on that night and specifically at that run, while you were on that run, can you recall what your thoughts were? 
there is some kind of energy that I felt like I had. That I I felt like maybe I was not doing enough of like spending this like energy that I had. I really needed to like do something to make me so tired so that I could like suppress my thoughts by like being so, so tired. And, and that was not a feeling that I would like attribute to that like one night or one evening that I went for that run. I had been, you know, like thinking about so many things like what is this that I am not doing right? What is this that I need to do to change the way I'm doing things? So then I thought, well, if I run and, you know, I'll get, and, and remember this is you know, the hardest time, you know, is at night when everyone is like sleeping and you can't even sleep. And so it's like evening time. And now I'm like, oh, okay, it's about to be that evening again. I need to run so that tonight at least I can have a good night, you know, because I had not like, experienced sleepless nights so i i knew what was coming ahead of me so that was like the idea of like okay my intention is to at least have a good night tonight a good night's sleep so let me make myself tired i was out for like three days and it was because that became a turning point in my life so when i you know, coming out of that unconsciousness, went to the hospital, and then amputation. And it was, this is something that I don't even have an explanation to, because I had, I started having a new perception on life after the amputation. Because I was in the hospital bed and I, I was asking myself so many questions, you know. Of course, at this point, I dropped a lot of the expectations in myself. And I think that helped me a lot. I was not now trying to make sure that I was keeping my eligibility as a student. I was not worried about what will people think about me at this point. This is like the lowest point in my life. And the only thing that I wanted is to, one, make sure that my fresh wounds are healed. And that was it at that point. And I'm like, and then get out of the hospital and maybe go from there. So I dropped and I knew I, at that point that there's not so much that I had intended to do in life that I can do this time. So I said, you know what? Let me just be myself and just start here. I don't want to put pressure on myself. I don't want to put expectation. I, you know, and I knew I was going to be on a wheelchair, just rolling around. So I said, well, I think that is all. So just nothing really. And I had a very good feeling, like, I felt good. Like when I talked to myself like that and I was convinced that, you know what? Just drop everything. I actually felt like I needed, and I slept that afternoon in the hospital, like for the first time. And I slept for a very long time. Then I woke up and I felt good. 
but I was afraid to share that I was feeling good. Like my mind was feeling better. Like I was not having any pressure. And my friends, the doctor was asking me, how do you feel? I said, I feel good. But I would say, and then I would modify my feelings based on like the circumstances in. It would be weird for someone who just lost his feet to be like, hey, I'm happy. So I would say, you know, I feel good, but you know, I'm still not really because of my feet. But like inside me, I felt like I did not have any debt with anything in life. I was like a free man. I didn't have anything. Like I felt like everything that was on me is just taken away. And it's such a weird feeling. I was, and I was so afraid. Of, I was so scared of that feeling. At the same time, I'm like, why am I feeling like this is not maybe how I should feel? And then, but then I was like, you are in so much medication, you know, pain medicine, antidepressants. Your body is like not even knowing what to do. But, you know, I started realizing in life, you know, there's some things that we don't have control over and they will happen if that is how it is. So then it's from there that I was like, you know what, this is what life has offered me and I'll have to appreciate it the way it is. But then the one thing that I told myself, I said, look, I still have a second chance in life. I can still do this thing. And then I was connected with a non-profit challenged athlete foundation who offered to help me. And from there, I really felt like I had a chance in life. And then I also told myself, I want to share my story. I want to talk about this because I know it's very uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about this. But had I had someone who had gone through something similar to me sharing this, maybe it would have changed my perception. Maybe it would have even prevented me coming to the hospital and losing my feet. I said, I don't want anybody thinking that they cannot get out of a situation they are in. But the best way to do it is, I believe in the power of storytelling, like that human connection. They can see me, they can be like, look at this guy, he went through all this and look what he's doing. So I said, now I'm going to share my story and I'm going, I'm going to make myself a self-proclaimed mental health advocate. I don't care if people would listen to my messaging, but I'm going to share my story anyway. I'm sure it will benefit someone. I've been hearing you and, and seeing a lot of your interviews and you always have this passion. And one question that I have after listening to some of your speeches and again, finding that positivity that you have uh, about, you know, your story about mental health, it's so contagious. I would love to hear more about how you achieve this mindset, right? It sounds like after, again, after the amputation, your mindset change, but how did you get there? Because it shows evidence of so much growth and so much work to get to that point. One is the support group, the support system that I have. You know, having people that understands that, you know, mental health is something that we all as a society need to come together and help those who go through that is one of the 
things that made me get so strong in my mental uh, growth. And acknowledging too, though, that mental health is real. So for me, it's acknowledging that there are challenges in life. There are times that even now, even for me, as we speak today, there are some days that I feel like, wow, why do I have to go through this? For example, in 2018, December 2018, I lost my brother who was going to school in Kansas, road accident. And I'm going, how should I even, what am I supposed to tell myself? But, you know, realizing, you know, we as humans, we go through things. A lot of, it's only that sometimes my, my wounds are physical, that people can say like, oh, poor guy who lost their feet or his feet. But there are so many people out there with things we can't see, but they are going through hell in their lives. But it's just remembering one day at a time. And then also for me, it's actually setting up goals. For example, for me, I want, you know, my next goal is like, I want to run my next marathon this fast. And then working towards that because you work towards a goal and achieve it. And like, you know, achieving a goal doesn't mean like going full blast on it. Like those little steps that you can make, those are so helpful in your mind, your mental health, even happiness. I now know through my own experience that I didn't realize it's a skill that you have to develop. You can't just wake up in the morning and say, this day is gonna not be a good day and expect it to be a good day. You've got to set your day in a positive tone. And even when you hit a wall on something, how can you turn that around and make it an opportunity? There are opportunities in everything. It's just, we need to use our lenses to see the positive side of things. And talking to ourselves, we have to remember, it's you who hangs around yourself 100% of the time. You've got to be your number one self, a positive person. Oh, Marco, I am so, so inspired just hearing you talk and everything you're saying uh, just really, really touches me. Thank you so much for for sharing that and, and for speaking so thoughtfully about mental health and so intentionally about how we should look at ourselves, our mental health and our self-talk, right? How we talk to ourselves, how we prepare ourselves for, you know, the days ahead and also understanding that there's still going to be challenges, you know, you know, and how do we confront them? How do we decide to confront those challenges and move forward? So my question to you is, if you would like to share, what is your current mental health care routine looks like? So I love comedy myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of like if you hang around me for a long time, you realize this guy has some kind of uh, he's a comedian on the, <laughs> like my side hustle will be comedy. So what I do is I, each day I have to watch like a funny 
comedy, a short clip of like the funniest person ever. Uh, I'm, I, I am a religious person. I believe in God. Like one of the things that I do is, you know, I read a Bible. And then exercise. My, you know, my running is my therapy. If I don't do it, uh, I am not in the mood. So I, I really like to be outside. And I would encourage a lot of people if you have the time. And I know sometimes going to the gym is a good thing. It's really, really great. But going outside is even better. And the other thing that I think is so helpful too is offer yourself to do something for your community. Volunteer for something. Just try that. It's going to make you feel so good because your mind will remind you that you helped somebody today. If you try and do something good that does not benefit you directly, it will come back and help you in your mental health, in your mental development. And it will make you have a greater sense of, well, I'm a very helpful person in this community. Well, Mark, your story, Marco, is truly, truly, like unlike any other, it's remarkable what you've done with your life. I, uh, I just feel honored to be here with you and hearing you. I would love to hear about your goals and about your purpose in life going forward. So apart from running, I tell people, you want to hear what I do when I'm not running? I started a school in Kenya. So, uh, you know, 2012. So I have a, it's an elementary school, pre-K through eighth grade. So that's one of the things that I do. And also I help kids. I coach a soccer for younger kids. I have young kids too, but you know, I coach soccer. So my goal is still running marathons. I still feel like I still have more to offer on this end because I want people also to be more involved in like physical activities. You know, it helps us. And also more opportunities to speak about mental health. I, I feel like we don't have enough voices out there, people who've experienced challenges to be out there speaking to groups. My, I'm building that, like I want to be in the next five years, I want to be traveling around the globe sharing my story and inspiring people and telling people that we are all survivors of any, of some sort of something. And I don't want people to think it's shameful to say I survived a mental health crisis. I want those who have survived it like myself to have pride in it and say, the reason we are sharing our experiences of our mental health is nothing other than trying to save a life. We don't want to lose someone through suicide who we could have talked and shared our stories with and told them, you know what? Whatever you're going through today is the same thing that I was going through in 2011. 
But looking at me today, can you tell that this guy was going through very, very tough time in 2011? No. Times change, situations change, and your bright days are always ahead of you. They are never behind you. Always, always, always ahead of you. That was Marco Cicero. Please come back next time when my co-host, Dr. Shairi Turner, sits down with one of the fastest women in the world, 20-time Paralympic medalist and four-time marathon Grand Slam champion, Tatiana McFadden. They'll talk about the relationship between mental strength and athletic achievement, Tatiana's fight for the rights of all athletes to compete, and establishing their resolve to overcome anything that comes her way. This has been No Off-Season. I'm Natalia Diane. The information and opinions provided on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to speak with your doctor for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.